Dan's away, so they let me talk. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it is both an honor and a privilege, though, to be before you to, to share God's Word, um, to bring the message. And i got to tell you, today, we have an answer to sin. We have found the answer to sin. You're going to want to take notes. Um, we were able to do it. So bow with me in prayer, if you would. Father God, may you speak to us from your word, by your spirit, and through your servant. Amen. Well, here we are. Um, this is where we're headed this morning. Last week, Dan preached um, in the name of Jesus, and we heard that song, that beautiful song this morning. What a powerful name. Next week, Pastor Josh is going to preach on the apostles in both healing and their arrest. And today, the, the church communal living with examples. We're going to see how the early church lived together, what they shared and what they did not, and really just how they lived, how they were with one another. But I wanted to give you the points of this message right up front to ensure that they're followed. Now, I want to assure you this is not a Pentagon briefing. It is not. A Pentagon briefing would have many slides, maybe 42. A Pentagon briefing would have many, many diagrams, confusing, and it would also have um, words that are hard to see, a lot of words to read, and it, and it would also have um, some diagrams. But this point up front, God is love. Jesus is the expression of that love. Jesus died and rose again so we could renew our relationship with God. Because he loved us. And love takes place in relationships. Again, with my 30 years in the Army, this is not a Pentagon briefing. Next slide, please. Let's start in the beginning. Next slide. That's a Pentagon briefing. Next slide. <clears throat> Let's start in the beginning with the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's where it starts. And we build on that. The word came to his people. It was breathed into uh, a chosen writer, and they were able to write it down. And we have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's a little trivia. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 39 in the front half, the Old Testament. Three times nine is 27. Now you got the New Testament. You only have to remember 39. You're welcome for that free trivia. But what purpose was it for these, the Word of God to come to us? Next slide. The theme was relationships. It was relationships of God with the nation of Israel for the Old Testament and with everybody for the New Testament. Now, the New Testament had some differing assets as well, aspects as well. You can see you had the Gospels up front, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have Acts through Jude. And then you have Revelation. And their meanings, next slide, would be Christ, the ultimate relationship builder. That's what you get in the gospel. That is Christ living out and building relationships. And then you have, in Acts through Jude, you have the early church living out what Jesus demonstrated. And then in Revelation, you have how these relationships are going to be finalized. Specifically in Acts... We have the book of Acts and then the rest, and their messages are how to live life with one another 
in the church. That's what Acts brings to you. And then letters to support and encourage and admonish those churches are the rest. So right there in about three minutes, you have the detailed diagram with the fuzzy lettering that would not be a Pentagon brief. And uh, we're going to discover on the top there, we're going to talk about Acts 4, 32 through 36, and 5, 1 through 11, which you possibly read because you have one of these cards and you're reading it, the scriptures, which go all the way to August, um, so that you can study it during the week and then come prepared um, to take a lot of notes in this um, not Pentagon briefing. So the first question I got to come to mind was Jesus starting an insurgency in not a Pentagon briefing? He had radical ideas. He really did. He had radical ideas and that folks back then had to be going, I don't know what he is saying. Where is this coming from? He dealt with the outcasts of society, the folks that were forgotten. It had a 180-degree focus. The rest of society's here, and Jesus was going this way. It had to be radical. It had to be like an insurgency. The Apostle John quoted Jesus saying in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Where? Well, that's definitely unusual for the common person in, uh, in the nation of Israel as well as today. Paul also wrote about Jesus' differing in approach in Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Definitely not what they were doing at that day. If taken at face value, it's very interesting. Renew your mind. How, how would you renew it? And then we have John writing of an even more outlandish thought. Nicodemus thought it was really outlandish. In John 3.3. 3. He's talking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So our response will be just like Nicodemus. How can this be? Do I reenter the womb of my mother? I mean, how, how can you be reborn? It was baffling then, and, and taken on face value, it's still baffling today. And we also have Matthew with another radical thought. This is Jesus. In 20, uh, in Jesus calling them, calling them to themselves. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great of great exercise authority over them too. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great amongst you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. That's amazing. Back then, and certainly today, you know, if you're the greatest, you continue to want to be greater. You're not going to want to be the servant. You're not going to want to be a slave. It's just amazing. He just takes it, the whole system of the world and turns it on its head. And then we have one more that I was able to gather. Matthew 10, 34. Really radical. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's certainly counterculture for the day and even today. But back in the nation of Israel, everything was based on this core unit, the family. Everything from marriage selections to who the estate went to, the first brother, the second brother. Everything was based on that. They even The tribe names were based on that. And for Jesus to say 
that we're going to put man against his father and daughter against his mother I just had to be baffling. It, so baffling that it sounds like it's an insurgent, insurgency. So no Pentagon briefing, though, would be complete without citing some kind of publication. So the joint publication that we're going to look at is 324. Joint publication is when all the agencies, all the services accept it, and we even include the Air Force in this. So, an insurgency is the organized use of subversion and violence to seize, nullify, or challenge political control of a region. I also must inform you that because we've probably had this preached now, certainly twice, that we're all probably being listened to by certain lettered agencies, and probably China, because we're talking about insurgency. They're just coming up on a watch list. Turn your phones off so that you're not part of that. The answer up front, though, is no. Jesus was not violent. In fact, he was, he was the other 180 degrees. You're going to ask, okay, 180 degrees. Over here is 180. And you go back 180, it's 360. You're back to the same point. <laughs> but think, if you try to imagine what God is like and put him in a box and I got it figured out. There's another plane. There's another level. I mean, 180 here and then one. Figure it out. He is not confined by space nor time. So I say that, that he's 180 out. And just to let you know, it's really counterculture. It's account all of that. He wasn't political, so he's not going against uh, subversion for, to gain political control. The Jewish government and the Romans would have probably understand him better. It would have been better if Jesus was political. Because then they could understand him and accept him or not. But they really didn't know how to treat him. They didn't know how to act. The people around him certainly had a hard time understanding him. In this look into the manual, you have insurgency motives. There's five of them I was able to get. And let's look at them. If Jesus was running an insurgency. He, uh, the adopting grievances, failure to adequately address the underlying causes of violence and core grievances. Well, the nation of Israel was under the government of the Romans and always being persecuted. Um, they were always down there. So what was the people? The people were definitely at the bottom of the totem pole. If there was failed security, you could want to start an insurgency, a fair by the government security forces to provide security. Well, being a, being a Jewish, um, of Jewish nationality, it was tenuous at best. But being a Christian would be the worst, persecution. And that goes into abusive behavior. Beyond failing to provide security, one might seek an insurgency if the government itself becomes a source for insecurity of the population. Well, every emperor there was in Rome um, persecuted. It only varied by their name <laughs> and by the amount of persecution they did. Some were just vehemently going after the Christians and others were just letting it happen. Same results, though. The church is persecuted and has abusive behavior. Numbers four and five, the elite's agenda. Elite attitudes tend to reflect both community-wide grievances and a discrete set of concerns about their status, such as elitism over triumph, uh, trumping the rule of law. That one might sound a little bit more like today as well, but back in the day, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were definitely comfortable where they were. They were definitely using their agenda to force the nation of Israel and the Christians to abide. You have a community allegiance. The insurgency would want to go with the uh, group that can provide both 
durable control, and security. And I found this one very interesting because it's actually not on Jesus' agenda. He's actually saying you do not seek control or security from anything on this earth. It is only through the Father. Um, so that makes it, uh, again, the insurgency argument a little more interesting as well. But why was an insurgency needed? Why would Jesus even consider this if he did? It started in the beginning with Genesis. In Genesis 3 through 22 through 24, I'll go to the underlying part. The Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground with which he was taken. So he drove the man out. This was after the fall. This is after Adam and Eve had tasted the fruit of, um, from the tree of life, and they were going to have now understanding um, and be able to discern. Well, that became separation. God said, we can't have that. And he was also talking about separation from both God and the tree of life. Separated from God. So God created man with the relationship in mind, and now he's separating man from that. Isaiah also records this separation in 59.2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face so that you uh, will not, so he will not hear. Amazing. That's, that would be the reason for Jesus' need for an insurgency. David, saw, David also spoke of it. It would be in Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can see it in Matthew 27, 48. Just as grave, if not more grave. Mark 15, 34 also has this. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now we could get in a big theological discussion and, and, where, you, know, and you could cite the Apostles' Creed where he descended down into hell. But from what I've read and understand, Jesus is suffering that hell right there on earth, right there on the cross. He has taken the cup of wrath that we all should have, concentrated. Imagine the thousands and millions and billions of people concentrated in one cup. He has taken that cup, and he's taken it for you and I. That's, that's why he prayed in the garden the night before, knowing I have to take that cup. I have to take it. And here he is on, in that version of hell, feeling God being separated. So Jesus was 100% deity. He was 100% man at the same time. This is the man of Jesus crying out, why have you forsaken me? Why am I empty? And that would be the complete hell by being separated from God. Now, also we have in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The goal of Jesus' insurgency to save that which was lost. And in John 1, 29, who takes away the sins of the world? Jesus came to take those sins that cup of, and the cup of wrath that would result and repair the relationship we have broken with God. Jesus paid the price for the sins of the world. Goals of insurgency a little bit more. We have from John 6, 37, 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and will raise him up at the last day. He's come to repair that relationship that sin has um, broken. First John 4.10 In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation is to get you bonus credit in college, in seminary. Propitiation is God has a wrath. He has an anger for the sin being caused, and it's got to go somewhere. So it's deflected. It's taken on by Jesus. He took that from us. That's all propitiation. So he sent his son to be the propitiation, propitiation for the sins. He's carrying them. He took them on. You see in the little box, which is again is fuzzy and small print, so you can't see it in a Pentagon briefing. God is love, and Jesus is the expression of that love. So how did he do it? Well, he started small. He started with 12, and he built relationships right away. He built relationships with those 12, and he had those 12 then go out and build relationships. Now, I know, getting into a theological discussion, um, how did he do it? Why did he do it? Well, he came and he performed miracles, signs, and wonders, and he came to do that to fulfill prophecy. Well, I would also advocate that he's done it to build relationships. Jesus died and rose again so that we could renew our relationships with God because he loved us. He did it for love. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 40, I'll just read what Jesus is saying there in the underline. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So this is how we do it. This is how we build better relations. This is how we build a better relationship and get over the separation from our God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But right next to it is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We shall love one another. How do we get over the sin? We love God with all our heart when we love one another. Super important. And then the last sentence is important also. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus didn't come, as Paul said repeatedly, he didn't come to get rid of the law and the prophets. All the Ten Commandments, none of that. He actually just reinforced that those things hang on the hat pegs of you shall love your God and you shall love your neighbor. They're based on it. So if you were to look behind all of the things that were in the Old Testament, behind it are the two Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you shall love your neighbor. There's not many cases where one another or love one another's really discussed, um, except, well, I found 24 of them on a quick search. Just listen how important it is. How important it is that we get along in our relationship with each other in order to be in a better relationship with God. I'll just read a few. Accept one another, carry uh, each other's burden, bear one another, Forgive each other, honor one another, offer hospitality to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, live in harmony towards one another. How important is it? Well, it's listed several times, several times throughout the New Testament. It's a pretty important aspect of our walk with God. A better relationship with each other builds a better relationship with God. So let's check our scripture for today. Um, I got Luke 4, 31 to 34. Um, let me see. Where is that? 
So, and let me see. It's, then, then he went down to Capernaum. That's not doing it. Wow. Sorry. It's a, my phone's ringing, but it's supposed to be off. I don't know why. Let's see. Great. Yes, sir. Um, oh, wait a minute. It's still ringing. Oh, Dan? Dan. What? Sir, this is a little awkward. I'm right in the middle of the sermon. Yeah. Are you you're listening? Who's, how you, okay, you're listening. That's weird, sir. That's more than weird. Um, okay, I expected China, but not you. You're not in China, are you? No. Okay. Oh, so you let, it's Luke 4 is what I'm going to go, no, no? A reminder, a, a reminder. Oh, I got it. I got it. Right here? This? Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, the book of James? No. Oh, no? No. Book of Acts. I got it. I got it. Thanks, sir. Hey, sir, go back to having fun and quit listening, okay? And drink water and change your socks, and you got to put some uh, foot powder on, okay? Yes, sir. Love you. Bye. Bye. That was kind of awkward. I'm sorry. So, whoo. Bosses, different priorities. Let's go back to Acts 4, 32, 37. But let me give you the context before the content. This is right after Peter and John were released from being detained by the Jewish leadership. Dan spoke of that last week. And then the people prayed when they returned and the Holy Spirit flooded the area. Imagine that setting. Imagine that setting we can have today. Imagine the setting then. And I'll read. All the believers were of one, one heart in, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them. All that were there no, were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. And here's a good example of that being done. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Here's a bad example. Acts 5, 1 through 6. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept some back kept some of the price back for themselves and his wife with full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, you did not, you did not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over him, all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him, covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Well, we continue with the sad story. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? 
Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And young men, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. So we were talking about relationships going well. They were prayed, then they had the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and then they just communed together. They had no one needy. We had a good example of Barnabas. We have a poor example here. But they got distracted. They literally got distracted, um, Ananias and his wife. And you can see, what is a distraction? What's well, anything that takes uh, your heart for God away? Anything. So we have relationships we're trying to be building, and now we have distractors. We could see uh, which ones they are, and well, um, Pope Gregory I, around the year 600, came up with the seven deadly sins. It's a pretty good place to start. You have pride, you have greed, you have lust, you have wrath, you have gluttony, envy, and sloth. I got to tell you, though, it all comes down to really what Colleen had told both the children and the parents Friday night. She said, it's all about priorities. It's all about your priorities. We're supposed to hang our priorities on numbers one and two that everything else hangs on. We're supposed to put God first and then the relationships second, one another. They build and feed on each other. But if we have other priorities, then we get carried away. We lose our focus on God. And that's what Ananias and his wife had done. Having a heart for God is the standard, and it was set by King David. In Acts 13, 22, after he had removed, uh, removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. What a great accolade. What a great to have the inspired word of God, the breathed word of God, recorded that you have a heart after God. Amazing. And that's what we all should seek. But those distractions, they mess it up. It's messed up priorities. We're not focused on what needs to be focused on. And i got to tell you, wealth can do it the quickest, it seems. Because who, in their right mind, in the world, has wealth and wants, uh, wants less? No, they want more. It feeds on itself. It's a distractor. Matthew uh, wrote it down, and Jesus knew this fact. There are multiple occasions where he goes after wealth. Wealth is the challenge. Wealth is one of your biggest, if not the biggest, distractor. And the biggest way to sin is through wealth. I read there the highlighted portion. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the heart that's supposed to have God first and relationship second. You cannot serve both God and money. It's doubly deceitful because the more we have wealth, the more you want to have. So consider... uh, Second Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. It keeps coming back to the heart. It keeps coming back to the heart because that's where the relationship with God and that's where the relationship with others is. But Ananias and his wife got distracted. Their hearts were trying to deceive the members of the church, which was actually trying to deceive God. He was there and amongst them. And the relationships was broken, both with the people and with God. It was a sin, and they paid with their lives. So, today's lessons. God is love. Jesus is the expression 
of that love. Jesus died and rose again so that we could renew our relationship with God. Love takes place best in relationships. And I added a fifth one. Eliminate all distractors to relationships. We have to eliminate them. Find them out and just destroy them. Get, get rid of them. So here's the portion where the pastor becomes unpopular. A little bit more Baptist perhaps. But I got to ask you what your distractors are. Now, I would not want to offend anybody, right? Because I know most of you and I care about some of you. I love you all. You're part of my family. I come here to worship my God on Sunday morning and any other time I can during the week. And I come with you. I love every one of you. So if you think about it, it's not like I want to offend you because I love you. I got to tell you because I love you. I have to tell you and point out so that you grow. I have to. I'm called to do it. So what are your priorities? What do you have in the way of number one and two? of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and loving one another as yourself. What's in your way? Is it the cell phone? Is it the internet? Is it tractors? Is it a hobby farm? Is it a woodworking shop? Woodworking shop? Or is it food? Those are all me. I mean, if you want more, I could go, okay, but we don't need that. You got the point. <sighs> I'm first in line on the distractors. I am first in line. Not proud of it, but daily I try to pick up the cross and I try to follow Jesus. I have to surrender myself. I'd ask you to do the same. But what is in your way? What is in your way, whether it's your work, your other passions, it needs to be number one and two. Now, you have several opportunities in this church alone, in this family, to be growing in one another, which then grows in God. Etch, it happens Wednesday nights. Now, i got to tell you, I've been off and on again. I need to go. It's where the family's meeting. Some of it, well, it needs to be all of it. And it's intergenerational. It's where you, most of you, the seniors, most of you, the older folks, get to pour into a youth. Get to continue what was going on this last week in Bible, in Bible study, in uh, not vacation Bible school, but SSS. It's where you get to pour into a young adult, a young Christian starting out, because you, get the, you have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have the life events, and you get to pour into a youth. Imagine that. And then there's children's ministry, Colleen. Imagine spending a week pouring into them, um, pouring into a youth, pouring into small children, because that is where the future is, really. We have the basketball ministry. We have Second Saturday we have so many other ministries, but they're really trying to bring you to a closer relationship with this family and with each other. We even have, um, we have one another groups. So I want to call that one out because we have the corporate worship, which you're doing now. We have the individual worship, which you do at home, your quiet time, your prayer, your study. And in the middle is where the rubber meets the road. The one another groups. How many are in? I can call you out. How many are in them? And, but you need to get in one because you get to share there. I mean, I can't deal with this hyperactive teenager. Or how do you, I didn't know about that bill. And how did you do that? And You get to figure out life in a one another group. When you're by yourself, you're figuring out your relationship with God. You figure out life in one another in the middle. And in corporate, we come together to praise God and also worship. But you really learn and you really ought to be in one another group. 
And we even have next week another opportunity for the men is a men's breakfast. It's uh, doors open at seven, and we start serving food seven thirty, and that's um, that's going to happen the first Saturday every every month. And call you for that. I know there might be grass cutting, there might be dropping the kids off at soccer, or the uh, traveling softball team, or whatever, but what are your priorities? And your children are, are looking at what your priorities are, because they'll then line up theirs. So it's important, and I challenge you, because I care for you. If we could pray, please. Father, we desperately need you. We need your love, and we need your son and these fellow believers to be the top priorities in our lives. We ask you to give us boldness, give us courage and encouragement to be the the heart of like David. Lord, we just ask you, praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.